Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to study the Scriptures with us, to investigate the Scriptures indeed, as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've mentioned often in this series of programs on the Kingdom of God that we should all be Bereans, following the example of the people at Berea in Acts 17, verse 11. We read there that they studied and investigated and examined the Scriptures daily in order to find out if what they were hearing was true. And the result was that they became true believers. It isn't sufficient just to ponder a verse or two occasionally, or to read one or two verses for inspiration, or to put one or two verses up on the fridge as a comfort. It's necessary to do more than that with the Bible. We are commanded and urged throughout the pages of Scripture to examine and to study, to meditate, to ponder, to analyze the Bible. There's so much at stake in knowing the truth, and it's because of the love of the truth that we're going to be saved. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, Because the love of the truth they would not receive, they will not be saved. It's essential to love and embrace and believe truth as opposed to error in order to be saved, according to that passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 10 through 13. I hardly need to remind you that the devil is the master liar. Jesus, speaking of the religious establishment of his day, said, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the deeds of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for the devil is a liar and the father of lies. End of quotation from John 8.44 you see, according to Jesus, the devil has a doctor's degree in lying. He's a master of it. He has polished the techniques of lying with extreme skill. He's master of the half-truth often, which is the most subtle form of lie. Now, in order to make a relationship with Jesus, we have to embrace and learn truth. God is looking, Jesus said, for those who worship God in spirit and in truth. You remember those famous verses in John 4, verses 23 and 24. But an hour is coming, Jesus said, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. Jesus went on to say, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I'd like to mention in passing that John's expression for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is in fact the Spirit of the truth. That's the way John describes the Holy Spirit in his account of the ministry of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the truth, the very opposite of the spirit of error and of lying, which of course comes from Satan. And so there's a conflict raging in our world between truth and error, between spiritual truth and spiritual error. It's essential if we want to escape the errors of the devil, the lies and the misrepresentations of the devil, it's essential then that we should find the truth 
and seek the truth, because it's the love of the truth that leads to salvation, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 and onwards there. Paul in that central passage in 2 Thessalonians 2 is telling us how to outwit the devil and his antichrist, the devil's agent. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, Paul said that the lawless one, the man of sin, is going to be revealed, whom the Lord, that's to say the Lord Jesus, will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That's to say the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity or the energy of Satan. Do you see there that this future Antichrist is going to have a supernatural revelation, a kind of pseudo-second coming, mimicking and aping the true coming of Jesus, destined to arrive to establish his kingdom on the earth. But the Antichrist will pose as the Messiah, will simulate the second coming. He's the one, as Paul said, whose coming is in accordance with the activity or the energy of Satan, with all power and signs and false or fake wonders and miracles, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing. Are we paying attention to these extraordinary warnings of the Apostle Paul? Those who are perishing, he says, are perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth in order to be saved. I have to tell you the truth is the opposite of lie, and the truth is often in the New Testament a synonym for the gospel of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, as both Jesus and the apostles preached it. And so in order to be saved, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, one must accept the love, a passion for truth, as distinct for lies. Paul went on to say in verse 11, for this reason, that's to say because they would not receive the love of the truth in order to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence, that's to say a lying spirit, a deceiving spirit which will confuse and confound them because they didn't first accept the love of the truth. God sends on them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. There we have the opposite pole to the truth that Paul commends here. People are going to wind up believing what is false because they've been exceedingly careless with the Bible. They were not following the example of the Bereans in Acts 17.11 who investigated the Scriptures on a daily basis in order to check and to verify and to see if what they were hearing was true. Paul goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, that they're all going to be judged, those who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Do you see there that the opposite of wickedness is belief of the truth? Truth, in other words, has moral consequences. What we believe in our minds is going to lead to a certain lifestyle. Either we accept the truth, we learn the truth, as taught by Jesus and the Bible in general, or we adopt wickedness. There are only two alternatives. It was for this reason, Paul went on to say to the Thessalonians, as he says to us today, it was for this reason that God invited you through our gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and gaining the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ means inheriting the glory of the kingdom, sharing rulership in the coming kingdom of God on the earth. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said. They're going to have the earth as their inheritance, Matthew 5, verse 5, and they're going to rule as kings and priests on the earth for the first stage of the kingdom of God, the thousand years, the millennium, and thereafter into the ages of the ages. And so you see, this issue of truth versus error is a very serious business. Many of us, it seems to me, take extreme care with the fine print in various documents that we sign. We want to know we're being told the truth. We employ consumer activists. We read magazine articles to check on the truth or falsity of various claims that are made to us in the world of merchandise and commerce. But when it comes to church, we are singularly careless with our acceptance or non-acceptance of truth, we tend to assume that what we're hearing must be true, but we are obligated, according to Acts 17, verse 11, to become personal truth-seekers, searchers and investigators after truth, in order to ensure against the possibility of being lied to. We may not assume that what we've always believed is true. If we're challenged with a different point of view, it is our wisdom to check it against the gold standard of the Scriptures, the ultimate standard of truth. That's to say, the words that proceeded from the lips of Jesus and from his apostles, that inspired criterion of truth, which we have as a gift from God in the Holy Scriptures. I can't help thinking of that verse in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, which reads, that the one who joins himself to the Lord Jesus is one spirit with him. How can we become one spirit or one mind with Jesus if we don't study his teachings? It's for that purpose that we've designed this series of programs on the kingdom of God, focusing on what was Jesus' central concern, the gospel of the kingdom of God, which in Luke 4, verse 43 he said that God had commissioned him to preach. I take it then as an axiom that we, as followers of Jesus, as ones who are going to relay his teachings to others and become fishers of men, fishers inviting others into the same community of faith as we enjoy ourselves, I take it that we would want to be fully informed about every detail of the teaching of Jesus, didn't Jesus say that it's sufficient for the disciple to be like the Master? Wouldn't it make sense then that we would want to echo and relay and teach others the very words of Jesus? We were talking in our previous program about the most basic of all commandments as uttered by Jesus. Jesus affirmed the greatest of all commandments when he said, as he talked to a scribe who had asked him a question, the greatest of all commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. We were reflecting upon the remarkable fact that in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, God is described by singular pronouns multiple times. Someone has calculated over 11,000 times. In the Old Testament, God is described as I or me or he Myself, himself, yourself, you, in the singular form. 
And we do not need an advanced education to know that when singular pronouns describe a person, that person is a single individual, one person. And so the Jewish writer Malachi, found in our Hebrew Bible, states again the great central tenet of the cardinal teaching of the whole of the Jewish faith, Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? You see, the one Father is equated with the one God. The one God is defined as the one Father. It's surprising then to find certain traditions in the church stating otherwise, that the one God is actually more than the Father. That seems to run contrary to the whole drift of the teaching about the one God in the Hebrew Bible. Now, the plain fact is that Jesus confirmed that famous central cardinal tenet of Judaism, that God is a single person, the Father. Jesus not only recited the celebrated, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, but Jesus constantly spoke of God the Father as the one God. In John 17:3, for example, Jesus addressed the Father in a famous last prayer, And there he designates the Father as the only true God. And in addition to the only true God and separate from the only true God, he describes himself as the Lord Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom that one God the Father had commissioned and sent. We invite you to request from us a free book entitled, Who is Jesus? And an article entitled, Who is the One God of the Bible? Meanwhile, join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.